0: Section 3 Part 1 Chapter 2 Of An Essay on the Art of Ingeniously Tormenting By Jane Collier This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 2 To the Patronesses of an Humble Companion I have often wondered, considering the great number of families there are, whose fortunes are so large, that the addition of one or even two would hardly be felt, that they should not more frequently take into their houses, and under their protection, young women who have been well-educated, and who, by the misfortune or death of their friends, have been left destitute of all means of subsistence. There are many methods for young men, in the like circumstances, to acquire a genteel maintenance, but for a girl I know not one way of support that does not, by the custom of the world, throw her below the rank of a gentlewoman there are two motives for taking such young women under protection one is the pleasure which it is said kind and benevolent hearts must take in relieving from distress one of their fellow creatures and for their repeated kindness and indulgence to such receiving the daily tribute of grateful assiduity and cheerful looks for i have been informed by a person well versed in human nature that however loud the outcry is against ingratitude for real kindness, yet that true and real kindness seldom or never did excite ingratitude, and moreover, that when those violent outcries came to be examined into, the obliged person had, in fact, been guilty of no ingratitude, or the patron had bestowed no real kindness. Nay, father, that should it be proved that ungrateful returns are sometimes made for real favours, it would commonly be found upon inquiry that the persons conferring such favours had a blind side, open to flattery, or some other passion, by which means they had shut their eyes and plucked a poisonous weed to place in their bosoms, instead of using their power of sight and distinction, in order to gather one of those many grateful flowers, which nature has scattered over the face of the earth. The intoxicating quality of which weed has still kept their eyes closed, till they are roused by some racking pain, which it instills into the inmost recesses of the heart. But notwithstanding the before-mentioned outcry against ingratitude, there are some, I must confess, who have taken the distressed into their protection, and have treated them with the highest kindness and indulgence. Nay, I have known a set of tasteless silly people, who are so void of any relish for this our pleasant game, that they would never wish to see a face in sorrow or tears, unless it was in their power to dry those tears and turn that sorrow into cheerful smiles but to such insipid folks I write not, as I know my rules, to them, would be of little service. I address myself, therefore, in this chapter, only to those who take young women into their houses as new subjects of their power. From the dejection that is so often seen in the countenances of those that live dependent, from Cowley's examination against that state, as being the thing that he would wish to his most bitter enemy, From the anxiety that people show to possess fortune enough to render themselves independent, may we not infer that there are many patronesses who have a true relish for this sport, and who will thank me for these my rules? For although this little book may not help them to one new and untried method of tormenting, yet it may keep the old ones ready in their minds, to be exerted on all proper occasions. There is some difficulty in giving rules for tormenting a dependent, That shall differ from those already laid down for plaguing and teasing your servants as the two stations differ so very little in themselves the servant indeed differs in this she receives wages and the humble companion receives none the servant is most part of the day out of your sight the humble companion is always ready at hand to receive every cross word that rises in your mind the servants can be teased only by yourself your dogs your cats your parrots your children The humble companion, besides being the sport of all these, must, if you manage rightly, bear the insults of all your servants themselves, who, the worse you use them, will the more readily use the power you give them, of revenging themselves on poor Miss Lucy Blank. In the first place, let me advise you to be very careful in the choice of an humble companion, for, be it always remembered, that, in every connection where this art of teasing and tormenting is exercised, Much depends upon the subject of your power. In a servant, you have little to look for but diligence and good nature, but in a dependent, there are many more requisites. Let her be well-born and well-educated. The more acquirements she has, the greater field will you have for insolence, and the pleasure of mortifying her. Out of these numberless families in the church and army, that outlive themselves and come to decay, great will be your choice. Pick out, if possible, one that has lived a happy life, and a tender and indulgent parents. Beauty, or deformity, good sense, or the want of it, may any of them, with proper management, so well answer your purpose, that you need not be very curious as to that matter. But on no account take into your house one that has not a tender heart, with a meek and gentle disposition. For, if she has spirit enough to despise your insults, and has not tender affections enough to be soothed and melted by your kindness, which must be sparingly bestowed, all your sport is lost and you might as well shoot your venom at a marble statue in your garden. Although I have supposed that beauty or deformity, good sense or folly, in your dependent, are in some measure indifferent, yet I would have you, if possible, mix them thus. Take good sense, with plainness or deformity, and beauty, with a very weak capacity. If your humble companion be handsome, with no great share of understanding, observe the following directions towards Miss Kitty. Take care seldom to call her anything but beauty, pretty idiot, puppet, baby face, with as many more such sarcastical epithets as you can invent. If you can ever provoke her enough to show any resentment in her countenance, you may beseech her to spare her frowns, for those who will fear them, and keep her disdainful looks for the footmen, when they make love to her, which, by flirting airs, you make no doubt they are encouraged to do. But if by your discourse you move her to tears, You may call her Weeping Beauty, and ask her out of what play or idle romance she had learnt that tears were becoming. Then drive her out of the room with these words, Be gone out of my sight, you blubbering fool! Handsome indeed! If I had a dog that looked so frightful, I would hang him! Although you may, generally, insult her with her beauty, yet be sure at times to say so many mortifying things, as shall make her believe you do not think her in the least handsome. If her complexion is fair, call her Wayface. If it is not of the whitest sort, you may tell her she is as brown as mahogany. If she is inclinable to pale, tell her she always looks as white as a cloth. And you may add that whatever people may fancy of their own sweet persons, yet in your opinion there could be no beauty in a whited wall. In this case, sometimes, insultingly, the name of Lilyface will come in. If she has a fine bloom, Tell her she looks as red-faced as if she drank brandy, and you have no notion, you may say, of cook-made beauty. Thus, by right management, every personal perfection may be turned to her reproach. Fine large eyes may be accused of goggling, small ones may be termed unmeaning and insignificant, and so of every feature beside. But if she happens to have fine, white, even teeth, you have no resource but to tell her, whenever you catch her smiling, that she is mighty fond of grinning to show her white teeth. Then add, pray remember, child, that you cannot show your teeth without showing your folly. You may likewise declare that if you had a girl of your own, who showed such a silly vanity, you would flay her alive. One thing be sure not to omit, although it is ever so false, which is to tell her, and in the plainest and grossest terms, that she has, oh shocking accusation to a fine girl, sweaty feet and a nauseous breath. To those who are displeased at the indelicacy of the above expression, with some others that follow, and would wish them omitted, I can only say, in the words of a butler a little altered, And though some critic here cries shame, and says our author is to blame, to such I answer cruel fate, tells me thy counsel comes too late. Or, in plain prose, it is desired to be remembered, that it is the lady patroness, and not our author, that uses such coarse language. To a young creature of beauty, and any degree of delicacy, nothing can be more teasing and grating to hear than this. From the extreme mortification she must feel, it is ten to one, but she will deny it with some resentment, or will shed tears of vexation for the charge. These will both equally serve your purpose. If the first, you have many ways to deal with her. Furious scolding and abuse is no bad method, if not too lately practised. But insulting taunts, I think, will do rather better. Such as follow. Oh, to be sure, you are too delicate a creature to have any human veilings. You are all sweetness and perfection. Well, heaven defend me from such sweet creatures. Then, changing your tone and looks into fierceness, you may proceed. I tell you, Madam Impertinence, whatever you may think, and how impudently soever you may dare to contradict me in this manner, that all of your nasty, odious imperfections have been often taken notice of by many people besides myself, though nobody has regard enough for you to tell you of such things. You may toss your head and look with as much indignation as you please, but these airs, child, will not do long with me. If you do not like to be told of your faults, you must find some other person to support you so pray for the present walk off to your own apartment and consider whether you choose to lay aside that pretty becoming resentment of yours or be thrown friendless as i found you on the wide world again you must not be told of your failings truly must you oh i would not have such a proud heart as thine in my breast for the world though let me tell you mistress minx it would much better become my station than yours For fear this kind and gentle speech of yours should have worried too deeply, and Miss Kitty should really, on consideration, prefer wandering, beggary, or the most menial service to such a life of dependence, and you should thereby lose your game, be sure not to let it be above half an hour before you send your woman upstairs to her, with some sweetmeats, fruit, or anything you know she is fond of. Order your woman, if she finds her in a rage, to soften her mind, till she brings her to tears, then to comfort her, and to tell her how kindly you have just then been talking of her, and to leave no means untried to coax her down. You must then receive her with the highest good humour, and tell her you intend for her some new clothes, a pleasant jaunt, or any indulgence that you know would please her. Continue this good humour so strongly that she shall not have the least opportunity of telling you what undoubtedly she must have resolved above stairs. Namely, that she could live with you no longer. And if this fit of kindness be carried into a proper excess, the poor girl will, at last, begin to think herself to blame, and that you are the kindest, best creature to her in the world. Then is she properly prepared for the next torment you shall think fit to inflict. Should Miss Kitty, on the mortifying accusation before mentioned, burst into tears, you must proceed in a contrary method. You may wonder what should make her cry when you was only kindly telling her, as a friend, of some misfortunes she could not help. You was far, you may say, from blaming her, for although you thanked heaven you was free from all such shocking and disagreeable things yourself, yet nobody pitied people with such imperfections more than you did. You might here also aggravate the misfortune it was to so young and so pretty a girl to have such personal defects. For, you may add, that you had often heard the men declare, and you thought them very much in the right, that they should prefer the ugliest girl that ever was born, who was sweet in her person, to the greatest beauty upon earth, with such nauseous, disgusting imperfections. If Miss Kitty, in the midst of her sobs, should find her voice enough to deny the charge, you may go on as follows. I don't wonder, my dear, that you are not sensible of these things yourself. It is a very common case, but you should, therefore, take it more kind of those who will tell you of them. Come, don't cry, my dear child, about it any more. Hearken to me, and I'll try to comfort you if I can. You know, my love, I have often told you how dreadful a situation a girl of your beauty would be in should you lose my protection, how many would be in the snares then laid for your ruin. How likely is it that, in time, you would be deserted by those base wretches your seducers? You know I have often wept from my dreadful apprehensions for you lest you should come to walk London streets. But to dry up your eyes, I have better hopes for you, Miss Kitty, for these ugly things I have been telling you of, and which I assure you are greatly taken notice of already, will, when they once come to be known, secure you more against the addresses of that destroyer man than even extreme old age or ugliness. With this jargon of insult, reproach, and seeming tenderness, the girl's heart will be ready to burst, nor will she be able to form any kind of reply. You may then continue the same farce, take her by the hand, say you are sorry you had even mentioned such things to her, as your discourse seemed so much to affect her, bid her take care to change her stockings very often, and not come too near you with her breath, and you would promise her that you never would speak to her about either any more. This promise remember strictly to keep, but yet you may take frequent opportunities of mortifying her, by vehemently inveighing against those very things of which you had accused her. You may go so far as to say that you know of an exceeding pretty girl who has all those misfortunes, but you love her so well, you would not, for the world, expose her by naming her name. Yet, by kind nods upon Miss Kitty, the whole room will understand your meaning. You may also, whenever she comes near you, hastily take snuff, or smell to your sampere, Then look at her, rather with pity than any kind of anger, and by this means you may keep her in such a continual mortified state that you will very seldom need any other strokes of your power, unless, indeed, she happens to receive any particular address from the young gentleman who visit at your house, with due commendations of her person and genteel appearance, which will, in all probability, so elate her mortified spirits that you may have another trial of skill with her to fetch her down. So far for a handsome girl. But, if plainness, with a good share of natural parts, should be the lot of this your dependent, whom we will call Miss Fanny, great scope will you have, in a different way, for tormenting, teasing, and plaguing her. You must begin with all sorts of mortifying reflections on her person, and frequently declare that you hate anything about you that is not agreeable to look at. This, in the beginning, will vex the girl, first as it is not very pleasant to have a mirror perpetually held to our view, where the reflection is so mortifying, and next, as she will really be sorry to find herself disagreeable to a person she should wish to please. But in time, she will find you out. She will perceive the malice of such reflections, and, if she has good sense, will get above any concern about what you can say of her person. As soon as you perceive this, change your method, and level most of your darts against her understanding. Never let a day pass without calling her, in that day, a wit, at least a hundred times. Begin most requests, or rather commands, with these sorts of phrases. Will your wisdom please to do so-and-so, etc.? Can a lady of your fine parts condescend to darn this apron? Would it not be too great a condescension for a wit to submit to look over my housekeeper's accounts? Whatever answer she makes to these things, "'Whether it be showing a little resentment for such insolent treatment, "'or saying, with mildness, that she is ready to do anything you command her, "'let your reply be. "'I don't hear, child, what you say. "'However, I presume it was something mighty smart and witty. "'But let me give you one piece of advice, which is, "'to be more sparing of your tongue, and less sparing of your labour, "'if you expect a continuance of my favour to you. "'Although your chief mark is her understanding,' yet I would not have you quite drop your reflections on the plainness of her person, for, by continual teasing, you may possibly bring her to say something to the following effect, that she could not help the plainness of her person, that she endeavoured to be as contented as she could, but, in short, she did not much concern herself about the matter. Then, have you a double road for teasing her still more on that head. If she is clean and well-dressed, you put on a malicious sneer, and looking her over from top to toe, "'You may noddle your head and say, "'So, miss, considering you are a wit, "'and a lady who despises all personal advantages, "'I must needs say you have tricked yourself out pretty handsomely today. "'Then, may you add, that you would hold a good wager, "'she was every day longer prinking in the glass than you was. "'But it was always so. "'You had ever observed that the ugliest women "'were much fonder of their persons than the most beautiful. "'If she fails in the least particular of nicety in dress, then you have the old beaten path before you. Load her with the names of Trollop, Slatin, Slut, Dirty Beast, etc. Omit not one of these trite observations, that all wits are slatterns; that no girl ever delighted in reading that was not a Slut, that well might the men say they would not for the world marry a wit, and that they had rather have a woman who could make a pudding than one who could make a poem, that it was the ruin of all girls who had not independent fortunes to have learnt either to read or write. You may tell her also, that she may thank God, that her ugliness will preserve her from being a whore. End all these pious reflections with thanking heaven, that, for your part, you are no wit, and that you will take care your children shall not be of that stamp. To a girl of this sort, your fits of kindness must be much more frequent than any other, for, if she has sense, it is ten to one, but she will have spirit enough to throw off her chains. If they always appear made of iron, you must therefore gild them over with great real indulgences, and never let your ill usage rest long enough upon her mind to bring her to a proper resolution. Show also great tenderness and affection to her before company, that if ever she should leave you, she may be generally accused of the highest ingratitude. I know not whether it would not be best, if the girl has so much spirit, that you are forced to bestow a great deal of kindness on her, to urge her temper far enough to make her run away. for. Although it is noble sport to have a girl of sense to work upon, yet it is warm exercise, and, by turning such a one adrift, and taking another of less understanding into your service, you will have a fine opportunity, in all companies, of not only raving at the ingratitude of Miss Fanny, who is gone, but of extolling your own extreme good nature, and taking Miss Dolly, who is now with you. Besides, you will have some new, pleasant additional taunts for Miss Dolly, as thus. If ever you should scold at her, and tease her enough to make her say the least word in answer, you may say, Hey, Day, what? You too are going to be a girl of spirit, are you? I shall hear, I suppose, that you have taken your flight, after the witty Miss Fanny. But pray, troop off as soon as you please, madam, I shall not send for you back. But I hope I shall, in time, be convinced of my own folly, in thinking there is such a thing as gratitude in this world. Should your humble companion be a plain girl, with a moderate degree of understanding, and great meekness of temper, you have little to do but rate and mortify her continually, only tempering your ill humour with just kindness enough to keep her your own. Much less of that ingredient called kindness will do in this than in the other two cases, for, being sensible of her own defects, such a girl will most likely pine away her very soul, and lose all her spirit in grieving at your ill usage without thinking herself capable of any redress, by leaving you. As soon as she is become a poor, dejected wretch that trembles at every word you say to her, a little teasing every day will do. And the words dolt and mope, properly applied, will be sufficient. But remember to keep her as much in your sight as possible, because the only chance of comfort she can have is in being out of your presence. The foregoing directions are adapted to particular qualifications in your dependent but I will now add a few general rules that will be suitable to any girl who is under your command. Carefully watch in what things your humble companion is most diligent to please you, and be sure never to appear pleased with any such endeavours. There are some girls so very observant of your commands, and so ready cheerfully to do everything you desire them, that it is very difficult to catch them at a fault. If you should observe this disposition in Miss Lucy, you may practise a game, which many people who honour themselves with the name of humorists have played before you. This is never to tell anyone what you want, but to be extremely angry that your servants, your dependents and friends have not the gift of divination. Surround yourself with as many peculiarities as you possibly can, and this not with a design of being pleased, as some odd people are, with those dependents, who, observing all such your peculiarities, hope by that means to please you, but in order to have more frequent opportunities of rating your servants or teasing your humble companion, as in the following manner. Declare, whether true or false, that you have a great hatred to a noise, and whenever Miss Lucy steps more softly than common in order to please you, tell her you wonder how she can stamp about the floor in such a manner, as if she had wooden shoes on. Or, if you choose not to imagine that she had stepped loud, then you may scream out as soon as she comes near you, and say that she has frightened you out of your wits, for she glided in so softly that you took her for a ghost. If also you observe that she is uniformly careful never to offend your ears by any noise that she can possibly avoid, you must never omit saying to her, whenever she goes out of the room, Let me entreat you, child, not to bounce the door after you enough to shake the house but you may suffer your own children to make as much noise as they please, without any kind of reproof. If the children, or the servants, make any complaints against Miss Lucy, be sure not to hear one word she attempts to say, in her own defence. If the complaint comes from your servants, tell her that you wonder at her assurance in speaking to any of your servants, or with a sneer, ask her if she supposes that you keep servants to wait upon her. If the complaint against her comes from the children, scold at her, as we say, within an inch of her life. Ask her how she dares affront your children. Abuse her, even in the language of Billingsgate, calling her all the scurrilous names you can invent, such as Draggletail, Lowbred Creature, Scum of the Earth, with as many more abusive terms as you can recollect. Then, drive her, with great impetuosity, out of your sight. These violent passions of scolding I would by no means advise to be too often repeated in this case, any more than to your servants, as they would soon lose their force, and subject you to contempt. But they do extremely well to come in now and then, by way of variety and surprise, especially in this connection, as they are more adapted to frighten half out of her wits a good-natured inoffensive girl, well-born and well-bred, than the lower sort of servants, who? if they should chance to have been brought up near Billingsgate or St Giles, might have been accustomed to such sort of language. If your son, Master Jackie, should have cut Miss Lucy across the face with his new knife, or your daughter, Miss Isabella, should have pinched her arms black and blue, or scratched her face and neck with her pretty nails, so as to have fetched the blood, and poor Lucy, to prevent any farther mischief to her person, should come and make her complaint to you, do you, in the first place? "'Rate her soundly for provoking the poor children, "'who, you may affirm, are the best-natured little things in the world "'if they are not teased and vexed. "'But, if by the blood streaming from her face or arms, "'it appears plainly that the girl has been very much hurt, "'you may, to show your great impartiality, "'say that you will send for the children in, and reprimand them. "'For it is not my way, you may say, "'to suffer the lowest creature in my house to be ill-used.' nor will I, on any account, permit my children to behave themselves unbecoming their station. Miss Lucy, on this, not comprehending perhaps the full drift of your speech, will brighten up a little, will thank you for your indulgence, and, if a good-natured girl, will beg you not to be too severe with Master and Miss, who, she hopes, on being spoken to, will do so no more. Now, let your countenance grow very fierce, ring the bell most furiously, sternly order the children to be brought before you, "'and utter such threats "'as will make poor Miss Lucy tremble for the consequence "'and heartily repent of her complaint. "'But how will she be surprised "'if you act the scene well? "'As soon as the children come into the room, "'begin to rate them most severely. "'But for what? "'Why, for disobeying your commands "'and condescending to play "'and be familiar with anything but their equals. "'You may conclude also by threatening them with the greatest punishment, if ever they are again guilty of so high an offence as that of speaking to a wretch so much beneath them in birth, fortune, and station, as Miss Lucy. If you have no children, keep dumb animals enough, and they will pretty near answer all your purposes. It is not amiss if your dependent be a girl very apt to blush, to be perpetually before company, saying things to her that will keep her in a constant confusion of face, which is as teasing and uneasy a sensation as may be. This hint was given me by a female friend, who, insisting on my inserting it, although I assured her that rule was quite needless, as blushing is full as much out of date as high heads. Another pleasant way, before company, is to rail so loudly against laziness, ill-temper, or any other bad quality, that you may say all girls possess, that your visitors will go away, convinced that poor Lucy is the plague and torment of your life. If you have chosen a girl, As at first advised, whose parents, when living, were truly kind and indulgent to her, you may amuse yourself with a fine game at compassion with her, as follows Begin talking to her of her parents, raise all her tender affections, collect every little circumstance that will awaken her grief and dissolve her into tears, by painting her loss in the liveliest colours. Carry the scene so far as to mingle tears with her, and utter the strongest professions of being to her yourself a second father, mother, friend, and protectress. The poor girl's heart will be almost melted with tender sorrow for the loss of her parents, and with overflowing gratitude to you for your goodness. But, as soon as the latter has, by degrees, begun to overspread her mind with a joy that will in a manner dispel her sorrow, can you, my dear pupil, carry this pleasant sport so high as in that instant to change your kind behaviour? To grow in a rage with her for nothing, and to make the girl more sensible than before of the loss of her indulgent parents by the cruel reverse she now so strongly experiences? If you can do this, you shall have the highest seat in my temple, and I will say, Duris, genuit, tecortibus, horrens, Caticasus, hyraniac, admirant, ubera, tigris. Virgil, Aeneid. L. I. V. V. 306. End of Section 3